Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. In February this year, 208 million people tuned in to watch the LA Rams beat the Cincinnati Bengals in Super Bowl 56. the most watched one-off sporting event in the world, eclipsing the Football World Cup and even the Cricket World Test Championship final. The Super Bowl is huge. And because it's watched by so many, it can charge huge premiums for advertising space during the game. The most sought-after slots are during the halftime show. The National Football League welcomes you to the Pepsi Super Bowl 56 halftime show. Up until recently, those ad spots were taken by some of the biggest companies in the world, such as Coca-Cola, Nike, McDonald's and Apple. On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. But 2022 saw a new breed of businesses barrel into town. Crypto firms. History is filled with almosts. With those who almost adventured, who almost achieved, but ultimately, for them it proved to be too much. Then, there are others. The ones who embrace the moment and commit. Fortune favors the brave. That was Hollywood star Matt Damon starring in an advert for Crypto.com. But Crypto.com wasn't the only one, and it certainly didn't spend the most. During the game, for a minute, a mysterious QR code bounced hypnotically around millions of screens, like one of those old-fashioned screensavers. The code was part of an ad for the cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase. It took those who scanned it to the company's website, where it offered customers a $15 promotional sign-up bonus. Coinbase spent nearly $14 million on the commercial, according to the Sporting News. And the commercial generated so much interest that record traffic crashed Coinbase's app. So much money was spent on advertising by crypto firms during Super Bowl 56, it was nicknamed the Crypto Bowl. But at the same time, crypto firms were spending vast sums of money at the Super Bowl. They were losing huge amounts of money in the crypto market. Well, cryptocurrencies are declining alongside equities as investors continue to keep a close watch on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's been a brutal week for crypto investors. In the past few months, almost half the global market of digital currencies has been wiped out. The value of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies has plunged. By the time those Super Bowl ads aired on February 13th, the value of the global crypto market had already fallen 33% from its peak just months before. And that proved to be just the tip of the iceberg. 
Now, it's exactly a week since one of the biggest, supposedly most stable cryptocurrencies took a massive tumble. It's still down since then, and the crash sent shockwaves throughout the community of users. Bitcoin down 13% today, dipping below 23,000. It's now 66% off the highs. Ethereum even worse, down 17% today, down 75% from the highs. And the ProShares Bitcoin ETF down 18% today and 67% from the highs. The sell-off began after the collapse of what was supposed to be one of the safest crypto assets, the so-called stablecoin Terra, whose value was pegged to the US dollar. This was a, um, a supposed stablecoin pegged one-to-one -one with the US dollar. It lost its peg. People were getting 20% interest, which was supposed to be risk-free. Supposedly, a lot of major reputable people were promoting this as risk-free. People had their life savings earning 20% interest, and this depegged, um, and people lost millions and millions of dollars. Hence, the reason why the market is getting lower and lower. We were always looking for crypto winter earlier this year, and I strongly, truly believe that we have not seen the bottom yet. Amid fears of a global downturn, investors had already begun to ditch risky assets. And crypto? Well, that's considered among the riskiest of them all. But the collapse of Terra USD, one of the market's stablecoins, supposedly stable because its value is pegged to other assets, shattered investors' already brittle confidence in the market. The domino effect contributed to the entire value of all cryptocurrencies globally to fall from around $3 trillion in November 2021 to just over $900 billion six months later, according to data from coinmarketcap.com. It was concerning to see how many people had put capital into it without realizing what it is they're putting their capital into. That's Melton Demiris, Chief Strategy Officer of CoinShares, an investment firm that manages $750 million worth of assets with a focus on digital assets. But certainly, I think it was an important reminder to really understand what it is you're putting your money into. No cryptocurrency was left unscathed as the shaky foundations on which they were built began to collapse. Even Bitcoin, the leading light of the crypto market, has seen its value fall below $19,000 from nearly $70,000 seven months ago. We've seen some really big corrections and then some really big recoveries. And you know, arguably those corrections have been tremendous opportunities uh, for investors brave enough to step in at the right time. That's Alex Tedder, a fund manager at Schroders and an investor in disruptive innovation and technology. The, the issue this time around, I think, has simply been that confidence was definitely shaken considerably more by the stablecoin collapse than it has been historically with cryptocurrency. As we'll hear, some commentators hail the crash in crypto prices as the end of an unfortunate chapter in speculative investing. But others see it as merely a phase in the arrival of a new transformative financial force. So, is this the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning for cryptocurrencies? We'll get to that later in the show, but in part one, we'll take a look at what's been happening in the world of cryptocurrencies and how it's managed to get into its current state. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. The story of crypto is now pretty well known, and we've covered it ourselves in a previous episode. We'll link to it in the show notes. But needless to say, in financial markets terms, crypto is a very nascent asset class. In brief, the original idea for a cryptocurrency, which turned out to be Bitcoin, 
was laid out in a white paper in 2008 by Satoshi Nakamoto, although no one knows exactly who or what Nakamoto is. In the paper, Bitcoin was described as purely a peer-to-peer version of electronic cash, which would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. And the original idea behind Bitcoin works up to a point. Where it fails, according to some, is as a legitimate form of payment or reserve currency, as its volatility remains far too high. Microsoft, for instance, began accepting Bitcoin as a payment, but stopped in 2018 for exactly that reason. Just imagine for a second accepting a Bitcoin as payment for a car, say, for the value of around $70,000, then that same Bitcoin being worth two-thirds less just a few months later. The original narrative was that as Bitcoin matures, its volatility would decrease. But this hasn't happened, as witnessed by its recent steep decline. These assets, these currencies are, are not tied to any asset that can be valued. And this is, this is the one, number one problem we've got with cryptos currently is how do we value crypto? If it is to be a store of value, we need to be able to value it. And we just can't do that. And therefore, it becomes a speculative asset. And as I said, subject to these very wild swings in sentiments uh, driven by demand and supply and often exacerbated by leverage. Which brings us to stablecoins. Stablecoins were meant to solve that issue. We have been using stable coins in the crypto ecosystem for nearly a decade now. Uh, USDT or Tether was the first stable coin that allowed us to settle Bitcoin transactions for cash on the same settlement layer. Um, Tether currently around $80 billion of it in circulation. Um, It is backed by currency reserves, commercial paper, a variety of other assets. Uh, The second most widely used stable coin is USDC, um, similar to Tether in construction in that it's backed by bank assets and and real world assets. So stable coins are supposed to mimic traditional currencies. They're supposed to be pegged against other asset classes to keep them, well, stable. So if there's a sell-off, the assets the stablecoin is pegged to can be used to support it. Much like when fiat currencies like the dollar or pound were on the gold standard, but with the added benefits of blockchain technology, which is essentially an undisputable digital ledger of transactions. Again, check previous episodes for a fuller explanation. We'll link to them in the show notes. There's many different stablecoins, but briefly, they can be grouped into three categories. Ones that are pegged to a currency such as the dollar, ones that are pegged to other crypto assets and others that are driven by computer programs. So pegged using financial engineering, algorithms and market incentives. But whatever peg they use, the peg should prevent the value of the stablecoin falling below the value of one. However, in early May, the two main stablecoins from the crypto project Terra went into freefall. The specific stablecoin you're referring to was a slightly different construction. It was an algorithmic stablecoin that was backed by endogenous collateral or a cryptocurrency token, um, which started to fluctuate in value, caused a lot of skittishness. People started cashing out. The price of the cryptocurrency started to fall rapidly. People realized there was nothing backing this algorithmic stablecoin. Basically, Terra was secured by its sister token Luna. But the issue was it was insufficient and came from the same ecosystem, so wasn't independent. 
But the run on Terra USD caused contagion in the market as investors panicked. More than a trillion dollars in crypto losses. A lot of people feeling the hurt right now. Um, I think when you look at some of the, the biggest projects involved, we had the collapse of uh, Terra and Luna, those two big stable coins. It turned out a lot of, um, uh, or at least a small number of hedge funds and spent hundreds of millions of dollars acquiring large positions in those. And so we're starting to see some of that unwind. I think the question is, as that unravels, how many more uh, people and companies are going to get caught in its wake? This week, Celsius, a company that in essence works as a bank for crypto, halted withdrawals and transfers, citing extreme market conditions in a memo to its 1.7 million clients, sparking fears the company could fold. So I think it was just a very important reminder to everyone in the crypto ecosystem that we need to be more careful with the terminology and the language we're using. And we need to be more careful with how we're um, you know, sort of describing these these investments, these opportunities, these assets, particularly to, I think, retail users, retail traders who may have been sold a different bill of goods or who maybe, you know, do not have the propensity to do as much research as potentially market makers, traders, investors, or other types of market participants. A loss of confidence ripped through the crypto world. Investors, fearing their investments would be routed, withdrew funds in record volumes, raising concerns of broader contagion in financial markets. But how much should we fear the ripple effects from the fallout of the crypto route? That's coming up in part two. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash the investor download. Crypto's short history can be defined by five resets. The first came in 2014 when what was basically the only Bitcoin exchange in the world, Mt. Gox, imploded following a nearly half a billion dollar hack. Japanese police have arrested the head of the Mt. Gox Bitcoin exchange, Mark Carpolese. This comes after a series of fraud allegations led to the exchange's spectacular collapse and tamper the digital currency's reputation. A spokesman for the Tokyo police says France-born Carpolese is suspected of manipulating data on the exchange's computer system in 2013 to create about a million dollars. The second in 2016 was the DAO hack when an attacker had tricked a smart contract into giving away $60 million worth of Ethereum, worth $8 billion today. The DAO, by the way, was a decentralized autonomous organization. Uh, it's an attack on the DAO, and it's an attack on the, uh, on the integrity of the DAO. And it's using the fact that the DAO is a smart contract and that nobody can alter um, how it's interpreted. And if, the interpret- if, this, if this software is wrong, then the interpretation is wrong and people are understandably um, uh, annoyed. The third, in January 2018, occurred when the initial coin offering or ICO bubble popped, starting a year-long decline wiping out 60% of the crypto market or more than $700 million, mostly in the form of worthless junk tokens. An ICO is a fundraising vehicle typically for startups. Investors send some form of currency, usually Bitcoin or Ethereum, to the company. In exchange, they get an entirely new cryptocurrency. But before you bet your retirement on the next offering, beware of the risks. First, you'll have fewer rights. It's a lot like an IPO, but instead of getting shares in return, investors get digital assets called tokens. One major distinction, tokens do not give investors any equity stake or voting rights in the underlying company. That means you're just betting that coins will increase in value over time. 
Second, limited regulation, meaning if the company you bought coins from decides to run away with your coins, there's a high chance you will not be able to get them back. Where are you going to go? To the ICO regulator? This rule does not exist. The fourth took place in March 2020, when crypto lost 40% of its value, along with most other global financial markets. Today is March 12th of 2020. Well, folks, I would usually start off by saying that I hope you're having a great day wherever you are, but I can only assume, being rational and reasonable, that if you're investing in the cryptocurrency space or in traditional markets such as equities, you're probably not having the best day. Happened again. It's about to go under five grand. You've about lost. Oh my God. Y'all see that daily candle? This is on the daily time scale. Uh, this has been a cataclysmic event for cryptocurrencies. We haven't seen price action like this. But back then, the crypto world was so small and its links within financial markets so tenuous that it had little impact outside the world of crypto. Each time, though, the crypto market reinvented itself. Each reset not only led to an increase in value, but they've also cleared the way for rapid innovation. But now we're going through the fifth reset in eight years, and the stakes are getting higher. Crypto is a new domain. Um, anytime we have new domains, just as we saw when the internet and internet-based companies and publicly listed equities in the internet space um, were starting to emerge, there is a lot of hype. People want to allocate capital to it. Um, again, we see a lot of natural sort of inclinations throughout multiple periods of history. Whenever there's paradigm shifting technology, there's also massive accompanying financial bubbles. The problem is with this fifth reset, there's a lot more people exposed to it than before. For instance, an annual survey from the Federal Reserve found that 12% of Americans, that's 31 million people, use crypto purely as a form of investment in the last year. So the pain felt by many individuals from the crypto crash will be real. And they're not the only ones. There are plenty of institutions that were engaged in just extremely speculative investing with long tail risk. And that worked in uh, the environment we were in with low rates, with very loose policy. Um, and now that things are tightening up, I think we're seeing a lot of things that people invest in are fundamentally unsustainable. But could it affect the broader economy? Central banks have already written white papers and warned of the potential for a crypto crisis to bleed into broader financial markets. However, how and when it might happen has been harder to predict. There is one reason we might not be seeing the crash cascading through the economy. That's because apart from El Salvador, the majority of countries, companies and financial institutions have been reluctant to accept cryptocurrencies as a legitimate form of payment. Bitcoin in El Salvador has been a disastrous failure. Essentially, $200 million that they couldn't spare has gone up in smoke. The country is now in a lot of trouble. They use the dollar as their currency, so they can't just print more currency. They've got to pay all their bills and balance their budgets every year. It's a real problem for them because the international markets are calling and they want their bonds paid. The International Monetary Fund is unimpressed. In January, it pushed El Salvador to ditch its Bitcoin experiment. Rating agencies Fitch and Moody have then downgraded the country's rate to junk, crippling its ability to access international loans. According to analysts, El Salvador is now on the brink of default. Most real-world use cases for cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin come on the black market or dark web. However, that's not to say that the fallout from the crypto crash has been confined only to the cryptocurrencies. It has bled into the stock market. 
and that's one of the issues, right, is that crypto is highly correlated with equities. I guess a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, that interest rates are rising and the you know, the environment for any kind of duration asset, if we can call it that, is uh, is a lot tougher. Duration. It's a measurement of an asset's sensitivity to interest rate rises. So if an asset is highly sensitive, its price will fall and vice versa. Now, before the pandemic, crypto assets such as Bitcoin and Ether showed little correlation with major stock market indices. In fact, they were thought to help diversify risk and act as a hedge against swings in other asset classes. But that all changed after the extraordinary central bank response to the crisis of early 2020. The uh, correlation with uh, Bitcoin and the S&P 500 actually hit its all-time high yesterday. And, you know, what that tells us is that it's a similar narrative that we've seen since cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin, have been sort of, you know, bought up by these larger, more uh, institutional investors. Um, you know, it's uh, the asset class is, is focusing like a risk on high risk equity. A lot of people had more money in their pockets. And in the case of the US government, they were literally sending out checks in the post. And people expected interest rates to remain low for longer. So they invested in riskier assets in the hope of higher returns. So crypto prices and US stocks both surged amid easy global financial conditions and greater investor risk appetite. And in the process became more correlated. For instance, Bitcoin volatility explains about one-fifth of S&P volatility during the pandemic and about one-tenth of the variation in S&P 500 returns. That's according to a report by the International Monetary Fund. So the message from the IMF is that Bitcoin and the broader crypto world aren't likely to offer protection against downturns in equities. Crypto's volatility is spilling into equity markets and vice versa. I think if you look at the chart of um, tech IPOs that have happened over the last two years, right, during the pandemic and the subsequent period of massive monetary expansion and loosening of monetary policy, a lot of those tech stocks today are down anywhere from 75 to, in some cases, 95 percent of their, their value. We see similar patterns in crypto. Crypto is cyclical in nature. And for many of the longer tail assets in crypto, they we have seen drawdowns of 80 to 90%. And many of those assets won't recover because they're fundamentally not investable assets. As central banks begin to raise interest rates and tighten monetary conditions, the most risky assets have begun to retreat. Most major stock markets around the world, for instance, are in bear market territory, which is a fall of about 20% or more from their recent peaks. And while tech stocks have borne the brunt of the sell-off, with some well-known names such as Netflix falling 50% and other lesser-known names down more than 70%, the sell-off has been widespread. There's been a pretty big reset in in a wide variety of areas, you know, biotech, um, energy transition, um, communications and, and tech. There's been... You know, it's a really big drawdown, and rightly so, because we were in a period of irrational exuberance, and that's now coming out of the market. That's healthy. That's part of the market uh, process. We're seeing a very significant shakeout in companies that uh, don't make money and possibly won't ever make money, and that that's part of this uh, kind of reset that's very important, I think, for markets. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to my view, which is until we come to the point where uh, a, a cryptocurrency or maybe several cryptocurrencies represent their fiat equivalents in a fully defined, regulated way. 
These are speculative assets at best and, and in my view, not an asset class. Regulation looks like it's coming. US President Joe Biden signed an executive order in March 2022 asking government agencies to work toward creating a regulatory framework for crypto asset markets. But that's a way down the road. The concern at the moment is will what's happening now spread beyond the borders of the stock market? How contagious might the crypto crash be? I don't think crypto has any contagion today on broader capital markets. Crypto is a tiny asset class. It's a $1 trillion asset class. Um, U.S. equities alone are $50 trillion asset class. Global equities over $100 trillion. Crypto is also an asset class that, at the moment, is getting significantly smaller. So are we seeing the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end for crypto? That's what we'll discuss in the final part of the show. Cryptocurrencies and digital assets provoke emotional responses. There's four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepid since the time of the Romans. Fortune favours the brave. Thanks, Matt Damon, but tell that to the person that might have invested $100 in Luna, the cryptocurrency linked to TerraUSD one month ago, the fourth most popular cryptocurrency at the time, and it's now worth nothing. A lot of ordinary people who swallowed the crypto pill hawked by Damon and a fleet of other celebrities, to that matter, have taken an absolute beating. But again, I think the trend in crypto, would always, what I always say is we do have higher highs, but also higher lows. If you're a diehard believer, it can be easy to justify the swings in the crypto market that have been wilder than the wild, wild west. In a market crash, regular investors might panic and run for dear life. But crypto evangelists, they just keep cool and bite the dip. For a lot of these folks, there is an absolutely religious belief in the power of crypto. These folks think this is going to be the next financial system, and they're already on Twitter bragging about how they've already been through three crypto winters before this one, and basically bring it on. But for others, there remains a crucial barrier to entry. A currency has to fulfill a number of different you know, aspects. It's obviously got to be a means of exchange that's got to work, but it's also got to be uh, a representation of the value, the underlying value in an economy or a country or however you like to define it, right? And to my mind, crypto does not do that. It's decentralized, it's unregulated, and therefore it is not a store of value or indeed an asset class. But there is a counter argument. Bitcoin is backed by energy and computation, both of which are real world assets. And the Bitcoin network is backed by data centers around the world who are utilizing energy to secure the Bitcoin network. So I do think there's tremendous value. The Bitcoin economy has over 300 million participants around the world who are using the Bitcoin network to perform trillions of dollars of financial transactions per year. And look, again, I think it's just a question of where your perspective is. I've been in this industry for eight years and certainly it feels much more real to me than many of the regulated companies we interact with. There are many publicly listed companies who are little more than shells and have zero actual value behind them. So filing some paperwork with a regulator, I don't think is a good barometer to use. Which might be true. The crypto market is supposed to be decentralized after all, meaning no one person or institution is responsible for overseeing it. The market participants, of which there are many, and who ratify each crypto transaction using the blockchain, are supposed to be the guardians of the market. However, 
perhaps because crypto is so new and investors are too used to the old world of investing. For the moment, the trust isn't quite there yet. I might have given the impression that I'm, you know, wary of cryptocurrencies, and, and I am today. Uh, yeah, Melton makes a plausible case, and I have a different view. But actually, we do end up in the same place on a kind of 10-year view, which is cryptocurrencies aren't going away. They're going to get a lot bigger and a lot more important. I just happen to think the process is going to be quite a difficult one, quite a turbulent one, certainly continues to be a volatile one. Very difficult for investors to work their way through this, particularly uh, if they're inexperienced. And I come back to the issues you have with valuing things like Bitcoin. What does anyone know about Bitcoin? Apart from there's around 19 million of them in circulation and there will be 21 million in total, not much beyond its wild swings and illegitimate usage. But that won't stop people investing in the hope they're onto the next big thing that could make them millions. However, because of the uncertainty surrounding the asset class, investors should tread carefully. You know, if you're uncomfortable with the volatility, if it's going to cause you anxiety, if you're constantly going to be looking at your Bitcoin allocation and stressing about it, uh, perhaps it's not a great option for you. Really, the best approach, I believe, is sort of set it and forget it. Um, once you've made the decision to allocate, you know, the best performance for crypto has typically come from five to 10 trading days every year. So I think it's just a, a, a good asset for investors who A, are comfortable with the volatility and B, are comfortable with this idea of having a small slice of exposure to this new digital infrastructure in their portfolio. But I do think that assets like Bitcoin in, in this allocation can be a great way, again, to add a bit of diversification, add a bit of exposure. And lastly, just one thing I'll add, I do think the outcome here is is rather binary. Um, if if public blockchain infrastructure, what I does, it believe it, what does, pardon, what I believe it will, um, that I think, you know, the potential is absolutely tremendous. Now, again, there's some active management required in terms of understanding what those assets will be and what those investment opportunities are. And by the way, there's also ways to play that theme in the public equities side. So it's not necessarily buying exposure uh, to cryptocurrencies themselves directly. There are a lot of different ways you can get exposure to crypto through publicly listed equities. But I do think new slice in the portfolio, a small one to four percent allocation, uh, adjusting quarterly and then again really viewing it as a long-term opportunity rather than something you're constantly adjusting and, and sort of re-allocating re to. As we know as investors, changes in sentiment are typically followed by changes in portfolio allocations. It may take time, there may be a lag. I think many um, allocators are trying to figure out their, their approach, um, but I do think we will see some major moves over the coming months and years that I think will start to really catalyze a more formal, large-scale movement into the cryptocurrency sector. And again, I think the question is where and how that will shake out, who the beneficiaries of that will be. That's my job is figuring out how to invest in that shift. This is a long-term trend that's not going away. Um, and so this is the very beginning of it. Yeah, I'm not surprised there's a lot more interest because people are waking up to where this might go at some point. I think it's more about the timeline than anything else at this stage. So, while we might be chastising Matt Damon and his friends for extolling the virtues 
of a collapsing asset class, perhaps they're just the early adopters. Perhaps this is not the beginning of the end, but the end of the beginning as we know it for crypto. Here's what else investors are talking about. This has been a challenging year for markets. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has led to soaring energy and commodity prices, a global stock market slump and elevated volatility. Slowing growth and rising inflation is a negative combination for both equity and bond markets. Whether the ultimate outcome is recession or stagflation, the implications for corporate earnings are clearly negative. But there are opportunities for investors. You can find out what they might be by reading Alex Tedder's story, Finding Opportunities in Stagflationary Times, at schroders.com forward slash insights, where you can read, watch and listen to much, much more. Well, that was a show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products, or to adopt any investment strategy.